Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into the evolution of CMS, or Content Management Systems. And to discuss this, I am joined by a large group today, which I'm very excited about. We have our friends and partners at Sitefinity, and also Matt Annis from AmericanEagle.com as well. So for some quick introductions, Matt is a longtime member of the AmericanEagle.com family. He's serving as the Department Director for Sitefinity Division, where he works closely with Progress Sitefinity. In addition to that, Matt is also a member of the Sitefinity Partner Advisory Council and a Progress Sitefinity MVP. Matt uses his talents to drive efficiency, enablement, and profit in the web industry through effective leadership, management techniques, and subject matter expertise. Next, to introduce our Progress Sitefinity team members who are on the podcast today, we have Lynn Boudreau, who is a leader in the field of partner relations. She began her career in the sales department at Progress before transitioning to a new position in the world of partners. Lynn now serves as the Director of Partner Advocacy for North America at Progress Software, where she oversees Tech Data 2 Tier Distribution Partners. We're going to unpack that a little bit later and really understand what that means. With a passion for collaboration, Lynn continues to help digital agencies and resellers realize the value of partners. Melanie Dumont is joining us as a CMS expert whose knowledge ranges from DXP to commerce to WCMS. We will be reviewing all the acronyms later in this episode. Milani has seen and sold and serviced it all. She's an experienced presenter and has spent the past 15 years educating professionals on all things CMS. Currently a senior sales engineer at Progress Sitefinity, she bridges the gap between technical and non-technical audiences. And last but not least, Heather Brubay. Heather has close to 20 years of experience in the DXP and WCMS field and has worn many hats. From business analyst to project manager to solutions engineering, she's currently a senior sales engineer at Progress Sitefinity. An analyst at heart, Heather interfaces with internal and external stakeholders across business and technical disciplines to ensure requirements and needs meet solutions. Welcome everyone to the show. So with four people on besides myself, and I never shut up, I wanna make sure that we each have time to talk through everything. So just briefly, I wanna kinda of talk about the perspective of lessons for tomorrow, right? We look at lessons from the past to apply in the present for success in the future. So as we unpack this and we talk about the evolution of CMS, I really just want to get an initial baseline from everyone of just what your very first experience with a CMS was and what's kind of drawn you into the world of technology, the web, and CMSs in general. So, Lynn, why don't we start with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in the CMS industry for quite a while now, first starting at Ektron and since then, I've been hooked and I've worked for quite a few CMSs and currently I'm with Progress Sitefinity. But, you know, how do you get into technology? It's not something that I planned on. When I went to school, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, took a year off, got into technical sales, and I haven't stopped since. Wonderful. Melani? Yeah. Hi. So I've always been interested in technology. I wanted to go to school for technology and somehow get into the field. I actually wanted to be a software developer. So my degree is actually in software development. And I kind of got my foot into a technical company at Ektron as well in tech support, which is kind of where <laughs> everybody uh, at the time was thrown into. And that led me, really led me down a path to realize that I didn't want to do specifically software development. I wanted to move into application a web application, 
a lot more creativity there. And of course, since it was Extron, I was more familiar, you know, became familiar with that application. And my career just kind of, you know, went from there. And I stayed in the CMS industry. And then moving beyond the coding, I liked talking to customers about it. So that's how I ended up in the sales engineer or pre-sales role. Great. Lots of good background history there and customer support and technical. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about your insights. Heather, how about you? So I started off um, going to school for information technology. And then a lot of times when you come out, some of the first roles you play are like technical support. So I started out as a technical support engineer at Ektron, uh, which is another content management solution. And so from there, I moved on to working as a solutions engineer there. And then from there, I moved on to, you know, working more on projects um, with individual companies implementing the CMS within their environment. So I've always been more customer facing in all the roles I've played with CMS. So really getting the insights from the end users um, and then being able to relay that information back to, you know, the development side has always been interesting to me. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, Matt. So I had a pretty common transition from landscape architecture to web development (laughs) about uh, 10 years ago now. But really, it started with, you know, a lot of what I did in landscape architecture was on the the digital end of rendering. And I had a passion project where I did a website in Joomla at the time. And it sparked my interest and came over to American Eagle and really pressed, uh, you know, design, build, and maintenance is the tangent that brought us together. So since then, really have my roots in project management and problem solving. Uh, so a lot of the, you know, analysis and, and BA side of things. And most of my experience in American Eagle has been primarily with Syfinity, uh, which I'm thrilled about. Landscape architect to web. My background was at least a little less drastic, but it's awesome. And I love working with you and, and working with Progress Syfinity team. Overall, the CMS market is going to reach $123 billion, yes, that is a B, by 2026. So we're not too far away from that uh, statistic being met. And with the growth of that market, there's been such a rich history of the changes that different CMSs have gone through, Sitefinity in particular as well with the growth of that. And we've been a partner for a good number of years. And so I just really want to talk about just where we've been. So, you know, it used to be different aspects of just HTML built sites. Sites were static. Let's talk a little bit about where we've been overall and maybe the direction of growth that that has stemmed from static to dynamic, from desktop to mobile. What are some different ways that the CMS evolution has really just come to the point that it is at today? When I joined, well, even before I joined Ektron, when I was still probably, you know, feeling my way around what I want to do with my life, you know, I kind of dabbled in front page. I don't know if anybody remembers front page. You're building web pages because I like to create, but from that experience, you know, you had to be technical, you had to, you know, know how things are organized on the web and everything. And that, of course, blossomed into people wanting to learn what was a confusion or, again, front page. But again, you had to be technical and not everybody was, you know, understood computers at the time. I mean, I'm going way back. I'm probably dating myself here. But that, of course, has evolved. People got more into HTML. They got into network administration. So more more technology-focused careers. And there was a need, obviously, because the web was more, everybody was becoming on the web. Um, I remember having this conversation with a colleague of mine, and, and I asked her when I started working in Nectron about, um, you know, what are you guys doing? She goes, well, we're not even on, we're not on the internet yet. I'm like, what do you mean you're not on the internet? How can you, how can you be a financial institution and not really have a presence on the internet. And so I think companies, you know, as the CMS world or the need to be on the internet 
has evolved is came the need for people to manage their presence, marketing to manage their presence on the internet, and they weren't technical. So here comes the development of CMS. These engineers and tech people who were building, you know, started with Cold Fusion, started with Front Page, and wrote HTML saw the need for this, and so they developed their first CMS platforms. And of course, it's taken off from there. Yeah. And I think when I first started working within CMS, whenever you're working with clients, like Milani said, a lot of them didn't have either a web presence or they didn't even know what a CMS was. So being able to show them some very basic, simple functionality that you would think was very simple today was actually like mind blowing for them, you know, back when we started. So just being able to get in and edit your content as if you were in like a word like application uh, or word processing like application, that was a big deal for them. So it's funny how it's really evolved from that to people who almost everybody I've talked to has had experience with the CMS and it's more looking for features and functionality they like and making sure that that core functionality is going to meet their needs. So they really, as customers have evolved because of the experience that people have out there now versus when we first started. It's pretty amazing. I think when it originally was IT driven because it had to be out of necessity, it's crazy to think back to the fact that IT and marketing, they didn't have much of a reason to collaborate at that time. So IT came out, you know, leading the charge on development at that time, and everything was very focused on what they believed were the intent of why they were going to have a website or a web presence. And I know we'll talk about the full evolution here, but just that transition from IT to marketing and then back to kind of this collaboration of the two uh, has been, I think, the biggest driver from my perspective. And maybe that's because I'm very customer and end user facing as well. Yeah, I would agree with you, Matt. When I first started out in CMS, it was always you were talking to the IT department about what we could do. And one of the questions that was most prevalent from a business user perspective was questions around the WYSIWYG editor. (laughs) Now, you don't really, you know, we're just expected to have that now, but that was like a big deal. Like, what can your WYSIWYG editor do? I mean, if you think about it, too, when we first all started out, well, I can't, Matt, I'm not sure how old you are, but I I know Milani and Heather, they're... (laughs) because we all worked together at one point, responsive design wasn't even a thing back then. You know, Mm -hmm. 2007, the iPhone just came out. So it wasn't even anything that you talked about. No, definitely. And I won't answer your question entirely. But when I started, we were doing doing separate (laughs) mobile sites as the big uh, sale at the time. So it was just before responsive became expected, we'll say. So we'll unpack responsive in just a moment. But first, I, I, I want to just talk a little bit about what's one groundbreaking release or feature that you think really helped shape the future of where CMSs used to be, right? When it was a bit more of developer-centric still of the way that you would still manage content and get everything into it. You had to have a little bit more of a technical mind to do that. What's a feature or groundbreaking solution that was put into CMSs that really shifted that dependency on IT to give more control and power to marketing in your minds? In my mind, there's kind of like two. So one is the concept of structured content and then also page builder functionality. So structured content, think about a news article where it's going to have certain elements to it, maybe a main image, a title, a byline, and then the body, maybe some author detail, that type of thing. But now you can structure that so you can create these multiple pages by just filling out a form like experience where you're filling out a form to build out those articles. But then beyond that, those dynamic pages would automatically generate themselves. But really being able to control everything on the page by being able to drag and drop elements into the pages where you want them and really having that control over the pages kind of took that dependency off of developers and really put it in the hands of the marketing team. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I mean, it's easy for me to say now, but that was going to be my answer 
structured content specifically. But if you think of how many things it touches, it relieved the burden on both IT and marketing. It maintained consistency and the central management in general of data like that lended itself to so many other future you know, evolutions as it pertains to integration and syndicating content across multiple channels. So that was really, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest game changers. Yeah, and you hit on another one, Heather, with just drag and drop, and that would have been mine. And mm-hmm. I didn't really go into my history, but I was back in the original HTML straight up programming days, Netscape Navigator, some of those fun Microsoft front page and all sorts of fun tools. But the drag and drop was huge. And Dreamweaver back in the day before Adobe bought them with Macromedia, I mean, there's a lot of groundbreaking features in there, but you still had to have such a technical mind. I think the shift in the browser technology and the browsers being able to have, I mean, just look at almost your entire workday could be done in a browser now. And before it was all individual applications because of how it had to be powered. That to me was a big shift and and breakthrough. And especially for marketers, the the drag and drop was that it is easier to use. It's a little bit more like a word processor, which everyone was used to, but it it came across with bloat back in the day where it would have all the extra formatting and issues and everything. If you ever tried to copy and paste from word into one of the tools back in the day for WYSIWYG editor, it just was not fun. And so I think that's really where I see a big growth on the the drag and drop side. Yeah. And the evolution of web when you start being able to track analytics and stuff really, Mm -hmm. you know, changed the game for a lot of people because now they are able to do things like measure the performance of their, you know, pages on their site and see what they're building and how it's affecting their overall, you know, success. So that's another piece that's kind of outside of CMS that really affected the CMS industry greatly, I feel, because then you started having people want to add in things like metadata and SEO and different features and functions that really weren't really, you know, there to begin with. It was very basic to begin with, with, you know, just some basic content editing, maybe some structured content, some lists, that type of thing. But then all this other measurable information started to come out that really drove and changed, I feel like the industry in general. I was going to say drag and drop too. I think we're all, we're all thinking the same thing. I think now I'll choose a different, you know, feature, personalization. I mean, now that we have more and more marketers coming on board, the ability to change out that content, you know, at some minor level, that was a pretty big feature. And now everybody, of course, wants to be able to uh, personalize the experience for their, their site visitors. And then overall, I mean, we talk about drag and drop. I think just general ease of use, the management, the, the UI that Yep. The backend user uses, how easy is it to, to use? You know, we still have systems out there that are pretty complex. You know, even today, they want something simple and that makes sense. And they don't have to jump through four or five or six different steps to, to accomplish something. I think that's still important now. Something that's not necessarily a feature like drag and drop, but just having a flexible API made a huge difference in being able to integrate, whether it's a homegrown system, your database, Salesforce, any of that data to be able to talk to each other made a huge difference as well. Definitely. Definitely. And while we talk about drag and drop, one of the things, and you know, obviously I'm closest to, to Syfinity in terms of its capabilities and, and what it offers, but to drag and drop into regions that you're designating on a page template was pretty groundbreaking from an enablement of marketing standpoint where the need to know HTML, it kind of just disappears when, when you have those types of capabilities and with how important it is to have agility in creating marketing landing pages for your campaigns to, you know, ultimately land on and just flexibility in how you articulate your content or present it to be as digestible as possible. I feel like from the end user perspective, that is a a huge game changer too. 
tying in responsive design to that yep. took even a step further because mm -hmm. now your content authors don't even have to worry about creating rules or anything around what they want it to appear on like mobile and that sort of thing so that's another piece that ties into that drag and drop that really kind of brought it to the next level absolutely and let's unpack responsive a bit more because originally and as matt mentioned he started here when we were still building a separate mobile site from a, a desktop site and then responsive came into play where we started having the opportunity to really build a single experience that was delivered correctly across the different screens that you would experience it on, or at least in the different views that you built for that experience. With responsive, how have CMSs had to adapt? We talked about structured content. We talked about drag and drop templates. Is it more seamless now and today in the way that the CMS handles it or DXP? And again, CMS, Content Management System, DXB, Digital Experience Platform, just put some of these out there. We'll put them in the description notes too for everyone. But what are some ways that we're seeing Responsive's growth and its own evolution within the CMS and how the CMS has had to adapt to that or DXP? I'm sure Heather and Melani will be able to speak more technically to this, but one thing I, I always recognize with Responsive is it represented a, a general trend that really you know, streamlined how we develop sites in general. It was, you know, mm -hmm. people want to digest content quickly, easily, and in, in a real simple format. And, you know, just looking at, you know, all the stats that brought responsive to the table and, and mobile in general, they were really something we should be following probably on all devices from, from the beginning. So it kind of forced us into that realm of thinking mobile first, but it's really not necessarily thinking about mobile first so much as the general concept of simply presenting content in a way that's super easy to digest so users can get to it quickly and digest it quickly. I think we really lean on, well, for us right now, we lean on like Bootstrap 4 technology and having that technology that's kind of a pre-built foundation to work with. Mm -hmm. um, actually, from the development side, kind of makes it a little bit easier because there's a lot of pre-built functionality in there that we can take advantage of and build into our templates that we're using. And so we're able to work with this, you know, concept of like a 12 column grid system. We know how it's going to arrange and lay out automatically for us. So being able to build out and beyond just like a content object that you're dragging and dropping onto the page, you also have these layouts because you want to still maintain, you know, certain layouts and aesthetics when you're building out your templates and then know that when it goes into a smaller you know, screen size for like a mobile device, for example, that it's gonna nest and lay out appropriately. And really Bootstrap really handles a lot of that for us. And then we're just creating those different layouts for different aesthetics that then people can drag and drop and layer within a page. I feel like that makes it a little bit easier from the development side and building things out is using these things that are more global and not specific to just our CMS in, in general. It's one of the things that actually makes it easier from a development perspective. And not only that, just giving the developers even a choice. Maybe they don't want to use this trap. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. I think that's important too because companies are looking for, you know, in terms of their IT, you know, people come and go in development all the time and they want to make sure that the talent they bring on can kind of jump in and start help managing and building out templates and things like that. And maybe they don't know bootstrap or whatever. So the flexibility of what responsive front end framework that you're using, you know, I think is also key to what a CMS offers in terms of just, again, being more reaching out to a broader audience, not just on the marketing side, but the development side as well. And with responsive, what about just the way that CMSs have had to handle different content types? I'm just pick on images here just because page performance is such a big aspect with Google and, and the core web vitals. And with responsive too, it's where we suddenly have pages that may not need to load every single item on the page. We want the speed first on a mobile device, especially. How did responsive and the way that the CMS handled responsiveness, but then for image resizing 
really evolve over time in your minds? And, you know, how has that helped marketers, but also maybe cause a few road bumps along the way? Well, image optimization, if you have it built in, is, you know, is a great tool because, again, it takes that onus off of somebody who's uploading image to really have to know what size they need to upload. It automatically generates the different sizes for you and it's going to load the appropriate size. So that's helpful. Not all CMSs have it, but a lot do. And there's also a lot of add-ins that provide that, you know, functionality for you as well. Font sizes and stuff like that. So I know we're talking about images, but like if you have a font that's, for instance, very large, it's still not going to be great in a, you know, a mobile application or a mobile device. So picking the appropriate fonts and, and setting up your formatting and stuff is also, you know, pretty important when you're thinking about both desktop and mobile as well. But images, you know, I think there's a lot out there. So it's really changed the game for being able to load things. But having that optimization is very helpful. I think for as long as responsive has been, you know, a staple, marketers are still kind of trying to avoid image management as much as possible, as much as as we all know, we should be using optimized (laughs) images and there are tools on board and things like that. I think those tools are largely evolving because Marketers don't have time to manage two iterations of the site and right. uh, and, and also, uh, in many cases, don't technically necessarily understand what size is, is ideal or what resolution. So I, I think we've seen a push and pull between what marketers are willing to do and what technology can do on their behalf. And, you know, it's also introduced things like more advanced caching, things to try and avoid performance impacts from things like that, which are kind of common oversights when it comes to content governance. Yeah, I'm thinking along the same lines as you is also there, you know, the evolution of browsers and development and how to optimize all of that, along with education. I mean, there has to be a communication between the implementation team and the marketing team in saying, you know, there has to be some best practices in place. And I think CMSs have gotten better about talking about the best practices for implementing an optimized, highly performed site. So I think all that is important, not just necessarily the functionality or the tool itself. It's all those pieces that have to come together. Absolutely. And I'm going to reel us back from the technical for a little bit here. And Lynn, I want to unpack a little bit more just with your role with partnerships and just the evolution of CMSs, but not on the technical side. But for a moment, let's talk about just on the the relationship side between part, you know, the software Vendors, as they started building the CMSs, right, before it was application-based, you'd, you know, subscribe or pay for an application back in the day before subscriptions were so big like they are now. And you'd have that desktop application, you'd build your website, you'd publish it. Now you've got these platforms that are out there. And so from a Progress Affinity perspective and just partnerships overall, how's that evolved over time? It certainly has evolved a lot because in the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how this used to be such an IT play that IT departments are either getting smaller or what they're focusing on is completely different than the website. And a lot of times marketing is managing that and they don't want to wait for IT to make changes. So they reach out to partners and they're also reaching out to their partners, to digital agencies like AmericanEagle.com for direction and what they're looking to do. Because when you talk about digital experience, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and they don't even know what exactly that means, right? So they need somebody to help them with the vision of their website. And I always think the website is a growing 
thing, right? It's constantly changing. Back in the day, back in 2000, back in 1995, it was just so static. You had your website, you could keep it like that for a really long time unless you had to change your address or your phone number. But now something changes all the time. So you do need to have your digital agency or your partner to help you manage that in terms of growing and evolving as all of these changes. When you look at, say, MarTech stack and what you need to integrate with, you also need to have a digital agency that has that knowledge and integrations like AmericanEagle.com does, you know, Salesforce integrations and all of those other marketing stacks and things like that. Our companies are not experts at that. So when it comes to partnering, we do try to focus on partners that focus mainly on obviously .NET because we're a .NET shop, but we try to enable them engage with them, make sure they're educated. And, you know, we also look to them for feature functionality add-ons, like what are your customers looking for? It's a really interesting position. I love working with the partners. I always think of partners as an extension of our organization, but also our best customers. So we have to treat them that way and make sure they're enabled to do everything that they can. Absolutely. Great. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And a great viewpoint of just how the partners are also some of your your greatest customers because they are driving that feature functionality. I know in the past with just some of the personalization capabilities and Sitefinity Insights, formerly DEC, just being connected into the Progress Sitefinity team, Matt and I had numerous calls and visits over the years working with the team to help build that because we were facing much more of the customer use cases and um, opportunities to bring customers' desires to Progress Sitefinity for consideration in the future roadmap and in the development there. And having that close-knit partnership really just helped in those conversations because as we were also starting to implement that for customers, we had contacts to go back to. And in that partnership, we worked together to ensure that we were delivering the best experience. And as uh, Insights puts it, the next best thing and what we want to deliver overall. So I think that's just the partnerships, why we're here, why this podcast exists is because it is working with all the different partners that AmericanEagle.com works with because that's the best way to ensure that we are delivering success for the customer at the end of the day. And without those relationships, we would just be looking to attempt it without any support. And without support, as we all know, no solid foundation, you're going to have a house built on sand and not on rock, and it's going to stumble and fall. Yes, absolutely. And when you think about a lot of feature functionality that is added to a product, a lot of times that is because of a need or a custom feature that a client wants. And then it you know, gets into the product after that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like as an implementation partner, we're, we're this kind of natural form of, of analytics for the end users and collecting their feedback, identifying trends in mm-hmm. different industries and trying to determine what to kind of align with with verticals based on what their interests are. And then, you know, that balance of, you know, trying to drive recommendations and lead them in a direction uh, that technology is kind of naturally moving in, which we're lucky enough to be informed by, you know, our partners and our collaboration. So as we look to kind of the, the final section of this show, let's talk a little bit about where we're going. And, and when I say we're going, we're, we're DXP, CMS, whatever the newest acronym next year will be for the way that these systems are called. Right now, I would say CMS still and DXP are very applicable. But where do you see this space continuing to grow? Is it on the marketing side? Is it on the whole headless side that seems to be a, a huge buzzword of still, but 
Everyone has their own separate definition of. There's now composable as a new one to replace headless. It's the you know sequel to headless. I saw a headline this morning of. So where do we see this going? From the marketing side, definitely. You know, I think marketing is definitely pushing it for to be more delivery channels. Every time there is something new, we're trying to get the brand name out there. They're trying to get their product out there. And so they have to follow whatever technology brings to, I hate to say it, but the younger generation, right? They're they're shopping, they're doing all kinds of things and everything that they're looking to do on their phone and in all aspects of their life, we're we're seeing come to the CMS space, promoting things, publishing something and it goes out to Facebook, it goes out to Instagram, goes out to Twitter, it goes out to, again, any of those channels. So I think that's important. Personalization, I think is still such a big, big important piece that marketing has to include in their their plans for the content in their site. We expect now to go to a brand or a company and maybe we were just at the store. You know, we want we want to feel that they are paying attention to us. We want to know that we've been at their site. So I think that type of functionality or that tool is going to be very important in the CMS side, again, the marketing perspective. In terms of technology, being more flexible, being more open, easier to connect to these other systems because we are not a system or tool that is perfect for every, for marketing automation, for, again, I'm just throwing some things out there, email marketing and and things of that nature. So there's companies out there that are using all these tools. They're finding the right tool for them and the CMS they choose, they want to be able to integrate with those systems. So I think just, just being more flexible, more plug and play type of capabilities, I think that's kind of what we're going to see in the future. Yeah. Um, and in terms of CMS. I agree with all those points. And it's, it's definitely become a more complex world for marketing, especially with personalization and things yeah. like that. I think the biggest influence that I see that's going to continue is, is the tightened collaboration between IT and, and marketing. And with that collaboration, we're seeing more of them driving the innovation as opposed to trying to digest and understand what the innovation coming from platforms and, and software is opening opportunities for. And we see a lot of people breaking the mold, the the headless approaches. And Tim, I don't know what the new one you just mentioned was. but uh, Consumable. Consumable. Yeah, that's interesting. But I, I think a lot of it's in response to flexibility, not just in content and some of the tools, but flexibility in creating an ecosystem that works very uniquely for an organization and not the other way around. I think it's really about creating that cohesive experience across channels um, as well. So like not only delivering out to other channels, but taking information like Lynn mentioned before, you know, we have a lot of APIs, so we can actually pull in content and information from other channels as well that are associated to the existing user who's visiting your site. Um, So you really do give them that experience. Um, And then also being able to push our information out to all these other channels as well, but really creating a cohesive experience. So when somebody, you know, goes from one channel to another channel to another channel, they feel like it's the same experience and that it's not, you know, siloed in each of those different channels. I would look at this more of what's trending out there and what I think is going to be trending more and more. We always see accessibility as a topic of discussion, but I think that's going to become more and more prevalent, especially whereas we have tools for voice activation. I see that might be something that is required in a CMS for different disabilities that might require. Also with overseas, they had the big push on GDRP. I think Mm -hmm. that's going to come into the United States. So that's going to be a big issue for CMSs. Security, there's so many more hacks constantly. I think that's going to be another um, functionality that CMSs are really going to have to focus on. 
And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll go a little outside the scope here, but, you know, a few years ago, I was at a high school for kids that were going into high school for their first year. And the principal said something to me that's always stuck with me. He's like, we are teaching these kids for jobs that don't even exist yet. So it's all about what the demand is. So, we, you know, we go back to when responsive first happened. Remember how irritating it was? You'd be on your phone and then it would be like a flash image or video and you couldn't pull it up. So what are we demanding? What is society demanding? So it's like, it's kind of wait and see and then catch up as quick as you can. And also wearables. So yeah, I think no, that would great, be another focus too. Great points, Lynn. And I, I think that just back to an earlier comment as well, just analytics and to your point there about just the, the statement of we are teaching these kids for jobs that don't even exist. I look at the role of data scientists right now and the amount yeah. of analytics that we have that we have an opportunity to use for personalization, to use in the marketing realm to segment audiences and target correctly on specific devices in context, right? In the timing that that person needs it. And it's almost that it's personalization. It's, it's much more individualization, I would say now, because we have enough information to know. But to your point, and I've done several webinars around privacy, Privacy laws are just a crazy changing landscape for all the technology, for the analytics of what you're collecting and storing. We've got Colorado and Virginia who both just passed laws here in the United States. We've got revisions coming to the GDPR and, and what Europe is doing overall with privacy. And even the bigger mobile device operating systems are putting more privacy into their releases and, and what apps can do. So it's an ever-changing landscape, whether it's privacy, whether it's capabilities for delivering personalization, for push marketing just to happen in a different form. I think that's really where that continued growth is and, and why I love this space is it's constantly changing. There's always something new coming out in three, six, nine months from now. It's not even years anymore. It's here's the latest update and trying to read through all the release notes of a new operating system for mobile device, the capabilities, it's overwhelming at times. Same with CMS capabilities. There's a lot of capabilities. We mentioned APIs earlier. We didn't really unpack that. That'll have to be saved for a future episode, but just the ability to connect into through an API call and pull information or push information into another tool to make an efficient delivery of information to make a relevant message appear because we know information about you as the user who's consuming that content at that time and what past content you've consumed. Empowering the sales team who sees what a potential lead is browsing on a site in order to reach out to them correctly, not just blindly. I think there's just so many advantages that evolution of technology brings to us and we're going to just continually see it growing. Tim, I have a quick question yeah. for you being so passionate and, and having so much knowledge around data itself. And, and joking aside there, there's been so much advances in collection of data. In the early 2000s probably was the introduction of just, oh, wow, we can start collecting data about these users. Do you feel that we collected so much that like, I mean, here we are talking in 2021 about trends are still in how to harness that data. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's the reality is I feel like we're still very far behind in, in how much we can do with it. And we've probably almost done more than we should have to this point. 
which is why we see so much compliance around it. But mm-hmm. interested to see what you think on that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I of course, have an opinion about that. I have opinions on most things. Uh, <laughs> but overall, with the with the data collection, big data was, I mean, that's from years ago now when it first started trending. But big data, the capabilities of big data, great. You can store a lot of data, collect tons of granular information pieces about the users of your app, your website, whatever it may be. Most people who focus on big data originally, it really should be called dark data. It's locked away in a database, in a closet, in a server closet somewhere, right? And they don't touch it. They don't do anything with it. So when you have dark data, what I like to talk about is what data is relevant to you as an organization right now and for the customers that I work with we talk through the opportunity of what do you want to know, right? Let's let's answer the why is something yeah. happening. And then we get to the the how and the what we should do. But start with your why. What is your why question? And when you start asking that, in order to answer that why, what data points do you need? Definitely. Identify those, collect on those, and then don't worry about collecting the other data. If you're going to process data at this level, You'll have enough traffic to collect that data when you need to add a new data point. So don't think you have to collect everything if you're not going to use it. Collect what's needed, maybe just a little bit more potentially if you have a roadmap built out for where you may be going. But until you start answering that first question, you're not going to know which path to go down for that information. And as far as the privacy side of it, here's the thing. A lot of that data can be used in groups and segments and the analysis you don't have to know the individual. Yep. So it's very easy to talk about the privacy and, and the ability for someone who does submit their personal information to you and how you need to be respectful of that and erase it if they request it or don't sell it. As most of the privacy laws are, it's all about the selling of the data. The companies that were making money off the data is who those were really targeted at and the ability for the consumer to be protected by requesting to be removed. And if you're just using it for your own internal use and you don't have that individual's information within it, you can do a lot with that information and better your organization's outreach or decision-making capabilities with the information that you have. So I like to start small and let it grow as the snowball effect, right? And let's start rolling it down the hill and only add the additional data points as you need them. Because to collect everything and try to make a decision, it's great you have it. If you have an unlimited budget, come talk to us. We'd yep. love to talk to you, but most people don't, so we have to start small. Yep, and if you approach everything thinking, how do I use all of this data, you're leading down a path that's you know going to create a plan that one is you know 10 to 15 years away from mm-hmm. achieving. And also, you didn't ask why first. So yeah. I mean, we see a, a lot of that, but I, I think scaling back the approach yep. to how to harness data in things like personalization, everything that comes with DXP now mm-hmm. is still going to be that that underlying trend yeah. for a while. Oh, yeah. It's the paralysis by analysis, yep. right? You have too much to look at. You try to start making decisions about it, and you're like, well, what about this? What if? What about that? Start with what you need. I, I would say the same thing about just when you're evaluating a CMS DXP platform. There is no one-size-fits-all. There is no perfect solution. What you need to look for is what does your business need in order to have the right capabilities for your team. And then knowing that you might have to make some things custom, it might be out of the box, some of it, some of it you might customize a little bit because you're unique. And then are you gonna be able to grow with it? That's always my biggest question. Make sure that you have something you can grow with. And I have way too many people who start with very small 
platforms that are out there when they should have just said, hey, you know what, let's take a little bit of a leap of faith, start in the platform that I know I will grow into in the next year or two, yep. and then I'm going to be set for success versus I have to go through an entire replatforming. And I believe Lynn mentioned it earlier where it used to be that you could build a website and you can kind of set it and forget it. And then you'd come back for a redesign every three to five years, typically back in the early you know, 2000s. And that was, oh, it's a whole redesign. Well, now it's the, how many times do you really want to go through a replatform with all the structured content, with the amount of content that's out there now and the different customizations that you may need as a business, yep. find the right solution for you. And embrace the evolution. Exactly. I iterate instead yep. of redeveloping. And companies like Progress Sitefinity with their CMS DXP platform, have really shown that future roadmap planning and growth of adding in the right capabilities, features, or the change in the the core technology when appropriate and not thinking that they have to be on the bleeding edge because we've seen a lot of platforms that have come out on the bleeding edge and have gone to the wayside because they were too early into something that wasn't widely adopted or couldn't be used effectively across all browsers, et cetera. And so... I would say just look at that as an example of the correct evolution of a CMS platform right. because the growth that we've seen with clients on Sitefinity has been incredible. Definitely. And as Heather mentioned, connectivity is everything with being able to extend and DXP, the core of DXP is having that core ecosystem of software. And so you want to start with you know, a nucleus that supports the evolution of what that ecosystem can become. Absolutely. So I think that's the first time on this show that the word nucleus has ever been used. Yes. So with that, I'm going to talk about how we want to thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast today. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode in your podcast player. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to and or follow the podcast wherever you listen and stay up to date with us. While you're at it, if you'd love to give us a rating, we'd appreciate it and share this podcast with others to prepare them for the future. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, and I look forward to the next lesson and just want to say again a big thank you to Lynn, Heather, Milani, and Matt, and just thank you for all of your input today.